Section 7 of Birds and Nature, Volume 12, Number 5, December 1902. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Scott McMullen. An Amateur Circus A True Story. We were not like ordinary children. In fact, as I look back on our younger days, it comes to me ever more strongly how very unlike we were. There was Harvey, my older brother, who never did anything that other children did, and was always perpetrating some most extraordinary thing which certainly no one else ever would have thought of. However, in spite of this trait, or possibly in consequence of it, he afterwards became famous. But that is neither here nor there. We were all what the neighbors termed unexpected. If they were kindly disposed, otherwise it was some word to the same effect, though less mild. It was always a great blessing to us, and one which we received with thankful hearts, that our father was a man of science, and his line of work made him the recipient of a varied assortment of animals, which he would bring home alive and keep until he was ready to work upon them. It was only natural that we children should become fond of these creatures, and beg that they might be spared the eternal sleep, and left to us to play with this was often granted. So it happened at one time that we were the proud possessors of twenty-five different kinds of birds, animals, and reptiles, and the envy of all the children for blocks around. It is so long now since the time of which I write that I may not be able to recall them all, but I give them as I remember them, and by their rank, for they had rank as well as names, the highest in intelligence always going first, as they did at our funerals, for when any one of the little colony died, we would give it a burial in accordance with its station in life. First beside the grave would stand Rex, my beautiful dog, whose knowledge was so great it seemed almost human. Then would come Daisy, Harvey's little Mexican pony. Then Lorita, the parrot, whose intelligence was really remarkable. After her came Jackie, the monkey, and so on down. The cat, the crow, with his one white tail feather, then the smaller birds, two lovebirds, a brown thrush, a blue jay, and the canary. Three baby foxes followed the birds, and then came the squirrels, gray, red, and flying squirrels. Next to these stood the rabbits, a dozen or more, of all kinds and colors. Belgian hares, pure yellows, angoras, whites and blacks, they came a motley crew. The weasel and a muskrat were next, and now the reptiles were beginning the turtles, a hellbender, and the snakes, black snakes, garter snakes, green snakes, a puffing adder, and last of all came two boa constrictors. I have reserved a special place for my own dear stupid little hedgehog, Billy. It used to grieve me to always see poor Billy straggling off at the end of the animals, ahead of the reptiles to be sure, a pathetic little figure of stupidity. But Harvey insisted he deserved no better place. Possibly it was because he seemed so lonely and despised by the others, but at any rate, Billy was an special pet of mine, and in order to disprove Harvey's statement that it was impossible to teach it anything, I spent much time and pains on Billy, and at last succeeded in teaching him to utter a little grunt when I would scratch his back and ask, "'Want your supper, Billy?' But the thing that made me the proudest was when he at last could go upstairs, it was nearly three years before Billy could accomplish the entire flight, and even then it was a long and weary pilgrimage. But the patience I had expended upon him had not been in vain. 
It was comical to watch his efforts, the little short forelegs trying to reach up to the next stair, where he knew a lump of sugar would be his reward. But I am digressing. One day, father and mother having gone out of town to a funeral, we children were left to ourselves. It was an opportunity not to be neglected, and our brains were at work trying to plan some new game, when Harvey arrived in our midst triumphantly waving a huge sheet of paper, a bill poster, he called it, upon which in large letters were the headlines, Grand Circus, and then followed an account of the animals that would take part and the tricks they would perform. Harvey assigned us our posts, he himself being ringmaster, by right of his seniority and having thought of the game. Alice was the fat lady, while I, Paul, being the youngest, was nothing but a feeder of animals and tent-shifter. Under the direction of the circus master, we assembled the menagerie in cages, or loose as the case might be, up in Mother's bedroom. It took a good deal of time to get them all together. Polly was of a roving disposition and had to be coaxed down from the top of a tall tree where she had perched, a square or so away. The crow was up on the roof, the rabbits and hares were scampering all over the garden. In fact, nothing but the caged animals seemed to be at hand. But the task was finally accomplished, and all were ranged around the room waiting for Harvey, who had disappeared mysteriously some little time before. Suddenly there was a most terrific clatter and noise, coming ever nearer and nearer. We looked at each other, open-mouthed with surprise, when, with a flourish of lariat and a wild Indian war-whoop that rose above the deafening noise, in dashed Harvey upon Daisy, a triumphant figure, having accomplished the difficult feat of making the pony carry him upstairs. He dismounted with a jump. "'Ladies and gentlemen,' he began, "'the first act on the program will be by this wonderful horse—' Daisy, down on your haunches. The lariat swept the air in true ringmaster fashion, and Daisy obediently sat back on her haunches. Shake hands, Daisy. The hoof came up, but here Rex interfered. He realized the pony had no business there and felt the responsibility which rested upon him. Good dog that he was, he started toward her, barking sharply as though to say, Go away, you know you have no business here. Then, as if his bark had been a signal, all the other animals lifted up their voices, and for a while it was pandemonium let loose. Screeches from Polly, calls of Mama from the crow, which it could say as plainly as any parrot, though its tongue had never been slit. Grunts and squeals mingled in utter confusion. In the midst of it all, who should walk in but Uncle Charles? Now, we all knew that Uncle was not disposed to pass over lightly even the least of our offenses, and what he would say, and what was more, do now, we dared not think. But Harvey was equal to the occasion. He knew Uncle's weak point and went towards him nonchalantly, swinging the snakes who stuck out their heads as they swayed back and forth. Now, to us children, the snakes were just as nice and pretty as any of the animals, but they were quite the opposite to Uncle Charles. The great writhing things swaying to and fro as they twisted in Harvey's hands and stuck out their heads, in which the eyes dully gleamed, filled him with loathing and disgust, not unmixed with terror. All that Uncle Charles had meant to say vanished from his mind as he saw Harvey advancing upon him with the boa constrictors, and he began to retreat more and more rapidly, but with ever-decreasing dignity. Harvey still pursued. Why, Uncle, we heard him say, what's the matter? There was no response. Uncle Charles had gone home. But the circus was broken up. 
I think it is better to draw a veil over the consequences of our circus. No circus is complete without a sideshow, and ours was no exception. We never had another one, at least not in Mother's room. Paul Brenton Elliot End of Section 7